Hey there, everyone. Jeff here from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 174. Look, some disasters give you a heads-up warning, right? I mean, things like hurricanes, pandemics, your mother-in-law's annual summer visit. But sometimes you don't get a warning when a crisis is about to hit. And that's when all that survival knowledge and gear that you've been amassing over the years is put to the fun better pass that test. Well, this week I reached out to my friend Jonathan Hollerman of GridDownConsulting.com to do a video cast on his best tips on how to prepare your fast action response to an instant disaster. As usual, Jonathan over-delivered in the same no-nonsense way that's made him such a great resource in the prepping community. And we cover a lot of great topics that you're not going to want to miss. And to help make sure that you get every last tidbit of advice, don't forget to go and download this episode's show notes that include the audio, transcription, and a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet quick reference guide with all the most important tips for later reference. You'll find it waiting for you over at www.mcsmagazine.com slash 174. And now, let's see what Jonathan has to say. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. You're in the middle of a road trip with your family, on the way to grandma's house for the holidays. When the streetlights all go out and the radio starts producing nothing but static. Now maybe you're sitting at your desk at work. When the office goes dark and the cube dwellers all around you start swearing at their lost work. Maybe you're at the grocery store or at the park playing with your kids or in line at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Wherever you are, you're anywhere but at home with your stockpile of survival gear and supplies when a major emergency happens. It could be a blackout, a tornado, an earthquake, a terrorist attack. Whatever it is, it's something bad. And now you've got to react immediately. So what do you do when you're caught away from home, away from your gear? And with family to protect, what if you and your family aren't together? What if you just aren't ready? Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today to talk us through responding to an instant disaster is survival expert and best-selling author Jonathan Hollerman. Jonathan, welcome back to the program, man. Hi, Jeff. Glad to be back. It's good to have you here. I know you've been uh, really busy over there with a lot of uh, a lot of stuff you're working on with books and everything else, and a lot of new training. So I know we're going to get into uh, some of that stuff now. But l- hey, listen, everyone, if you haven't if you haven't listened to our other podcast with uh, Jonathan, uh, you're in for a real treat. He is a former Air Force elite SEER instructor, where he's trained hundreds of students in how to survive under the most extreme circumstances, including in the harshest weather conditions and under extreme food and sleep deprivation. Now, today, Jonathan has gone on to make his unique survival background, experience, and philosophies to take him to a much larger audience through his best-selling books such as EMP, Equipping Modern Patriots, and Survival Theory, A Preparedness Guide, as well as his latest bug-out DVD. Now, in addition, he has gone on to help others benefit from his background by offering personalized preparedness consulting and everything from putting together your personal survival plan to planning, buying, and building your own survival retreat. 
Now, for more information on Jonathan and his training and services, please go ahead and visit him at his website at www.griddownconsulting.com. All right, Jonathan. So let's let's go ahead and jump into this now. When we're talking about like an instant disaster, I mean, so many people, so many people talk about like emergencies, disasters, and terrorist attacks and things like that. Like it's an abstract idea. And what I want to do is I want to I want to talk about the cold, harsh realities when it comes to an instant attack. Those things that you know, a hurricane you can see coming, right? Like you see the weather reports and all that stuff. It gives you time, but an instant disaster doesn't give you that time. So when people are caught when they don't have warning of a crisis coming, let's start off conceptually. Like what are maybe like the first three actions somebody needs to take just to be able to kind of, you know, set themselves in, set a foundation for their next actions to take? A lot of this comes down to just having a preparedness mindset and thinking through problems, coming up with solutions to problems. It's hard to... There's a lot of top 10, top three lists online from different survival experts on do this, do that. The problem is, is which scenario are we talking about? Are we talking about a bomb going off in New York City? Are we talking about an EMP attack where, none of the, where a good portion of the vehicles aren't working? Are we talking a solar flare cyber attack on the grid? So there are limited scenarios where it's instant, and I just kind of named them. Pandemic financial collapse, hurricane, things of that nature, you can see those coming from a mile away. So those are scenarios where if you find yourself not prepared, shame on you because you knew it was coming, right? And the case where it's an instant situation, the first thing you need to do is focus on your personal protection. So if we're talking bomb going off and your building's on fire, obviously leave the building, follow the crowd, go in the same direction a lot of people are going, there's probably going to be rescue personnel showing up and just follow instructions. So a lot of people get really in the weeds. And in, in the case of a scenario like that in New York, they really want to have all this bug out bag gear and everything at their office. But the thing is, is if it's a localized disaster, there's going to be people coming to help. And if you looked at this in any semblance of your imagination as to what would I do if this happened, that happened. And and that's a, the biggest part of it is game plan it, put it down on paper, think about different scenarios. What would I do under this situation? What would I do under that situation? And have a plan of action in place so you're not just completely taken off guard, which would lead me into the long-term loss of the electric grid, whether that be from an EMP attack by North Korea, which is a very imminent and immediate risk right now, a solar flare, which we're long overdue for, a cyber attack on the electric grid, or just a good old-fashioned physical attack on the electric grid. If we lose the electric grid long-term, a lot of people aren't going to really understand how bad it's going to get. So it is imperative, you know, once you think about personal safety, getting yourself out of the immediate danger area, how do I get home? How do I get back to my family? How do I get back to my other resources? Ideally, you'll have a car in a parking garage or a car in the parking lot that you'll have a get-home bag in, that you can get to that, get any immediate uh, action equipment that you will need to get home and get a hold of that. So there's – and a lot of it just depends on the situation. So a lot of that just comes down to mindset, thinking through scenarios beforehand, how you're going to react, what you're going to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm, we, are, we talk a lot about mindset, right? And um, the only thing I, I would add to that is when you're talking about you know, we talk about not 
when it, when an incident happens, isn't the best time to try and think about what your plan is, right? So take an example of like you are in, you are in a building and you are in, um, you know, a good example is maybe the, um, there was a, the, the nightclub fire where everybody just kind of died at the, at the doorway, right? Fire started. And, and that would be a case where maybe you wouldn't go with the crowd, right? But if you didn't think about your plan ahead of time, you would be like just in panic. If you didn't have a plan, you would just follow the crowd and get stuffed inside of a doorway and probably die of smoke inhalation. Whereas if you were, had that mindset ahead of time and anywhere you go, whether it's a restaurant, a nightclub, where any building and you look around and you see, okay, well, there's the exits, but there's probably, there's where the backstage is. That's where the door to backstage is. And, you know, if something were to happen, would I follow everybody out the front door or would I go back where I know seven people are going out the back door where the, the stage is? That might be a better plan. But if you don't think about that ahead of time, then your mindset is just going to be in panic mode right with everybody else a lot of times. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct, Jeff. A lot of my focus with my clients and my consulting is around societal collapse scenarios. So you're talking immediate action, uh, localized events. So, yeah, the, the thought process behind that is considerably different. A lot of that's having your head on a swivel, uh, having situational awareness to the situation and, and the environment that you're in. A perfect example was a nightclub fire. Anytime you go into a large, whether it be a football stadium, stadium, something along those lines, not just looking for alternative exits, because in that situation, you don't want to go with the crowd because you're probably going to get trampled trying to get through a six-foot-wide door. You want to pay attention to back doors, windows that you could get yourself and your loved ones out of in, in a situation. Also looking for potential places of cover. If you're talking about the, the shooting down in Las Vegas, a lot of the people just sat down on the ground or got behind a chain link fence. And there's a big difference between cover and concealment, as you are well aware of. Uh, where are my locations for, for cover that can stop a bullet? So keeping an eye on those things. Whenever I go to a restaurant, I always position myself, if we're in a booth, I always position myself facing the front door. Pay attention to people around you. Are they nervous? Is there some guy that's nervous or looking distraught? Don't ignore those types of situations. Pay attention to them. Keep your eye on that that individual and, and see, see how they're going to react. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, <clears throat> we talk a lot about um, everyday carry gear at, at Modern Combat and Survival and, and the importance of, of having gear because, I mean, in an incident, type of a disaster, I mean, you're not going to have maybe your, you know, that giant pantry of food back home or the escape and evasion equipment that's in your car. You might only have what you have right there at the time of event. A good example of that is like an active shooter scenario. You're at the mall shopping or whatever. You hear, you hear gunshots going off or whatever it might be. Your, your gear can be a, a good help for you. It doesn't take the place of knowledge and tactics. It doesn't. But when it comes to what gear can be useful for you that you actually carry on your person, what are some things that you recommend people have as far as everyday carry gear that they wear on the person that they have with them for an instant type of a, of a disaster? Yeah, so a lot of that is dependent on where you live, too. So if you live and work in New York City, your options are going to be pretty slim as to what you can actually carry on your person. I was actually just down in Washington, D.C. this past week, and you can't even have a, a full-size survival knife down there. So I had to take my extra magazines out of my bug out bag when I drove down there to take my my hunting knife, my survival knife out of my, my, my bag. So 
always pay attention to your laws in your your state or your city that you live in. Uh, a lot of times from the survival retreat, salty side of it, that's tough because, you know, if you live in one of those states, I still recommend you play by the rules because if you get caught doing something bad, you go to jail or you lose your rights to own guns for the rest of your life. So I don't ever want to see that. But with all the, the, the terrorism, the crazy people that are out there in this world today, the church shooting, Las Vegas, the nightclub, I mean, you get on the list. A gun. I, I have a concealed carry permit. If you see me out in public, there's a 99.5% chance that I'm probably carrying. So if you have the ability to conceal carry in your area, then I would recommend it. I also worked in office job for a few years where the dress did not allow that. Yeah, I had to wear a tucked in shirt and I mean, I could have worn an ankle holster, but it was something that I never really asked about, but I always had a, a handgun in my, my, my get home bag that I, that I carried to work or in my briefcase. So the gun is a great equalizer. So uh, man, if you have a, the ability to carry a, a weapon, I would highly recommend it. I don't, I don't really push for really small guns like the 380s. There's not a lot of stopping power. You're very limited in, in rounds. I personally carry a Glock 19, uh, but I'm also a pretty big guy. I'm 6'4", 230 pounds. So I can, I can seal it pretty well. Glock 43 is a new weapon that's out. That's a good self-carry gun. Anyway, so that's so if you have the ability to carry a weapon on you, that is the best case scenario. Otherwise, you're running and you're hiding like everybody else. It's just a matter of time that that crazy person gets to where you're hiding under the chair and, and, and shoots you. So the ability to carry a gun would be would be the first thing on my list if you can. Uh, pocket knife. So when you start talking EDC, you're talking about stuff you carry on your person, in your pants. Uh, I see a lot of people that on Instagram that put out their current EDC and they've got so much stuff there. I'm like, what are they wearing? Cargo pants every day with their pockets bulging and life straws hanging out of this pocket. Uh, and EDC is just to get you to your get home bag or to get you to the rest of your equipment. And even if you're at work, that's something that should be close by and close at hand. So on your person, uh, very limited. I carry a, a pocket knife. I carry, I'm a big fan of the Kershaw Camber, which is a, a really good quality knife. It's got S30V steel, which is a very good steel. And you pick this up for about 60 or 70 bucks. Cheaper Kershaw knives are, are really good if you're on a budget or you can, you've got a lot of money and get a ZT or something along those, those ends. So I, a pocket knife, I use mine every single day, opening boxes, cutting uh, binder twine for bells of hay. So I use it every single day. So a knife, uh, a couple other things that you should consider would be a, a flashlight. Uh, some people carry these large flashlights. I always carry a small flashlight. I got a Claris MI7. I actually don't have it on me. <laughs> it's downstairs. I should have brought it up, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, a Claris MI7, something that's small that can fit on your keychain is what I recommend because if you get one of these bigger flashlights, eventually you get tired of carrying that big bulk thing in your pocket. So a small flashlight uh, at night if you're traveling, if you have to walk home from some location, I don't recommend using a flashlight. You're drawing attention to yourself. Let your night vision work, especially if you're on the open roads. Uh, you can see pretty well. Just let your night vision adjust. So flashlight would just be an emergency type thing. Um, I have a paracord bracelet. These things get kind of crazy. Uh, you can get these things with, Machetes Everything inside of them and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't recommend that. 
So mine has a handcuff key and a buckle. I have inside of it, there is a, a small lock pick, uh, and a, uh, razor. Uh, so I've only got, there's only like two or three things in here. I kept it pretty basic. Uh, the, the small, the small blade would be for, for, for cutting zip ties if you got your hands tied behind your back. So, uh, survival bracelet, these are good, but I also understand if you work a white collar job, you know, showing up at the office with a survival bracelet, it's going to be kind of weird. So, um, let's see here. Lock pick, handgun, flashlight, paracord bracelet, handcuff, lighter. I always carry a lighter on me. I don't smoke. I smoked when I was younger. I don't smoke anymore, but having a, a lighter on you is, is always a, a smart thing to have. And then the last thing I think is a big thing that people overlook is cash. So if you have the ability to carry a thousand dollars in a concealed location on your person, that can go a long way to helping you out of a situation, convincing somebody to, to give you supplies or or, or get some food. Uh, a big thing people overlook is they always focus on walking home from work. Uh, if you have a thousand dollars in your pocket, half the country, half the, half of the Americans in this country own bicycles. Start knocking on doors. Ask somebody to, I'll give you 500 bucks for your kid's bicycle. That'll cut your travel time home in half. So having some cash on you, which you can afford to, to carry on you and that you can conceal really well would be a good idea as well. Yeah. And you know, if you see me along the road driving, riding somebody else's Hello Kitty, um, bicycle with training wheels on it, <laughs> and I paid $500 for that, somebody shoot me right there. But, um, <laughs> okay, we've been talking with survival uh, consultant Jonathan Hollerman of griddowconsulting.com about how to prepare for an instant disaster. And we have a lot more to get to, including what to do when you're at work when a crisis strikes, survival gear for your vehicle so you're always prepared even between destinations, and how to rally your family together at a moment's notice, even if you're all in different locations when the balloon goes up. All that and more coming right up, but first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Jonathan Hollerman of griddownconsulting.com, talking about steps that you can take now to be prepared for an instant disaster that could catch you away from your home, your gear, and your family. We've got a lot more to get to, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. 
Now, Jonathan, a lot of us spend a lot of time in our cars, especially if you got like a commute to work and you're, you're traveling back and forth to work or, or no matter where it is, just running around with errands. And when an instant disaster happens, a lot of times you might be in your vehicle when that happens. Now, in an instant disaster, we can get traffic jams, anything like that. That's like a even natural disaster, like an earthquake or something like that can still jam up the roads and everything. And you might just have that gear right there. Um, yeah. On, what you have on your person and in your vehicle. So let's talk about your vehicle for a second. What survival gear should I be carrying in my car, my truck, and what specific items might we put inside of that that kind of um, a pack? Sure. So a lot of this is situational dependent on how far you drive. What you carry in your car is going to be different if you drive 40 minutes to work every day or if you have a five-mile drive to work every day. A lot of it's going to depend on what, what part of the country you live in. Are you out in the desert somewhere in Las Vegas or are you in downtown New York City? So you have to use some common sense to wrap your head around exactly your particular geography, your particular situation. And I, what I, the thing I see a lot is people carrying like three-day bug-out bags in their car to get home. Right. So let's say you have a, a, a 10 mile work, a 10 mile walk to get home from work. You don't need a sleeping bag. You don't need, you know, 50 pounds of gear to get home. So th- that's just going to tire you out before you even get home, before you start your bug out to go to wherever you're heading. So I recommend to really err on the side of slimming down, which you carry in your car. A couple of things that are really overlooked. One is going to be a comfortable pair of shoes. So if you work a white-collar job or if you have to wear work boots or dress shoes and where you work and where you're heading, I would always carry a good pair of tennis shoes or if it's winter time, a comfortable pair of winter boots in your vehicle. So the, the last thing you want to do is have a 10-mile walk ahead of you and have to wear those penny loafers that you got on your feet. So have a comfortable pair shoes in your vehicle, and water. So you're going to be exerting energy walking home. The last thing you want to do is dehydrate yourself before you even get home. So I always carry a gallon jug of water in the truck of my vehicle, and that goes along with the Camelback that I have in my get-home bag. A lot of people have canteens. The problem with the canteen, with the canteen, if you're carrying it in your get-home bag and you're walking, you're going to constantly have to stop to reach around or to get that water out and drink. So when I was a sea instructor, survival instructor in the military, camelbacks, it's much easier to stay hydrated with the camelback because the tube hangs over your shoulder and you have access to water, drink constantly. If you feel dehydrated, it's too late. You've gone too long without water. So uh, a camelback is a much better scenario for, for in your get home bag than, a, than an actual canteen. So, on my website, I have a, I have access to a list of all the different types of bags that I recommend. Uh, there's some confusion online. If you type in get home bag, you'll get lists for people's bug out bags. You'll get lone wolf packs. You get all these different lists. I break it down into four categories. So I recommend everyone have a three day bug out bag, which is enough equipment for three days to get you from your home to your bug out location. And a lot of people confuse that with what I call a lone wolf pack. So a lot of people's bug out bags or three-day bug out bags look like these monster packs. And they're carrying a lot of extra gear they don't need to to get to the retreat. 
Lone Wolf Pack is something that you pack once you get to your retreat location. You move your equipment over in that. Then you can have everything in the kitchen sink in that bag if you had to bug out from your location. And then uh, an assault pack, which is a really condensed, like a camelback mule, little tiny pack that you carry if you're walking patrol around your property, around your location. Just a basic stuff that you have on you. And then the last would be a get-home bag. So I think it's important to specify the different types of bags. A get-home bag is going to have fire starting kit, water purification kit, water, uh, a small a small trauma kit. You don't need a big four-pound medical sack with you. Um, flashlights, TP wipes, some food. Calories is really important. So having some some high-calorie foods to munch on on your walk home is is important. So having this stuff in your trunk at all times. And the last thing I'll recommend that goes along with the shoes is having a winter coat. If you're traveling in a winter area, it's or if it's winter time in your area and you have cold weather, a lot of people are used to getting in their car, driving to work, driving to a restaurant, and they just brave the cold with their thin leather jacket or something to get in or out of the restaurant. But if you break down on the highway somewhere and you don't have a winter coat, that, that could go very badly. So having the proper clothes in your vehicle so you have a comfortable hike home, having the proper things in your get-home bag to get home. And again, that really varies depending on, like I said, whether you're, you're in New York City or you drive 40 miles in Nevada somewhere to work. Yeah, it's all really good points. I think a lot of people really don't consider when they're they're packing up their car on their way to work things that they could have in there. So that's, that's really good. Um, so, Jonathan, speaking specifically about work, I mean, a lot of us spend a lot of time at work. I mean, they say we, we spend about a third of our lives at work. If you ask my wife, it's about two-thirds for me and then one-third with, uh, with her. But um, there's a good chance that when an instant disaster type uh, an event happens that you're going to be at work. And, of course, this is going to be situation dependent. If you're a construction worker and you're out somewhere, or you're a road worker, you're out somewhere, or you're a cubicle monkey like I was, you know, you're at work with a bunch of other people. But when it comes to preparing for a disaster there, whether it's gear-wise or whatever you need to do, like what are some tips that you have for people that uh, when an instant disaster happens and you're at work? <clears throat> sure. So, again, situation dependent. Are you on the... 50th floor at the World Trade Center or are you, do you work somewhere in suburbia where you work in an office and your vehicle's right down below you? So it, it really depends on how far away your getting home bag is. And that's going to be an individual thing that you're going to have to brainstorm and think, what would it take me to get from where I'm physically working at my cubicle or on the roof? You know, if you're a roofer somewhere. Where's my vehicle in coordination to where I am? And what would I need to get from there to my get-home bag? So if you're in a situation like New York City, you're in a high-rise building, your car is in a garage somewhere, or you rode the tram in, I would have a briefcase or something that you keep at work that basically resembles your get-home bag and have all your equipment at work. If you're not going to have easy access when the balloon goes off, to go down to your vehicle in the parking garage somewhere and get access to that, I would keep all that equipment at work the best you can, whatever you're allowed to have there, obviously. And if that's not the case, if you work somewhere rural, if you work in a suburban environment where you have access to your vehicle, then I would keep the get-home bag in your trunk and not freak people out because you got a a molly bag with a six-inch survival knife strapped to the side, carrying that in and out of work every day. 
Um, so that that'd be my recommendations on that front. You know, obviously you're gonna have your EDC stuff, your your pocket knife, your your lighter, some of the stuff that you carry on your person that can get you to your your get home bag in your trunk. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, then you think about it, you have your stuff at work, but then you also have the stuff that you carry on your person as well. All of that combines really well for, for a full, you know, everyday carry plan. So let me ask you, uh, Jonathan, one of our, our biggest concerns that people are talking about all the time is what if an event happens and I'm not near my family? Because that's most likely what's going what's gonna to happen, right? Like, I'm going to be at work. My spouse is going to be out either at work or running errands or something. The kids are going to be at school. And something happens and, you know, do we really want to rely on all the systems around us to be able to, you know, make sure that the traffic's going to flow well and communication lines are going to be there. We always have to plan for kind of the worst case scenario. So what are some, what are some ways that we can rally our family together in the disaster and make sure that we can all come back together so that I can protect my family um, no matter where we are, even when we're separated? Absolutely. So I do a lot of survival retreat consulting. I fly around, look at uh, my clients' existing survival retreats and their current plans of actions. And what are you, what are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if, when that happens? I play devil's advocate with them. Or what if you're at work? And I, I run through a lot of these scenarios. And that's a big thing I find is that a lot of people are prepared. They have food in their basement. They've got water, purification methods. They've got all this stuff. But they've actually never focused on exactly different different scenarios. They don't have an exact plan of action in place, and that's going to cause a lot of confusion, a lot of stress when this when the situation comes down. So I would say information communication is the key. The most important thing is is have a written plan of action for each of these scenarios and plan it out. What happens if I'm at work? What happens if, like you said, the wife's at it's going to be different whether she's at Walmart or maybe she works really far away or you work really far away. What happens if I'm at the store? What happens if I'm away on business somewhere? What are your plans of actions, right? So a lot of people want to sit down and have a like a family conference. I always err on the side of caution with that at first. I think whoever is the head planner, whether it be the, the, the wife or the husband, think through all these scenarios, come up with a plan of action for each different scenario, write it down, print it out, discuss discuss it with your significant other. Okay, well, if you're at the store, it's going to make more sense for you to swing by the school because the school's over here. Get the kids on your way home. Uh, you know, have different scenarios and then have a kind of a fallback plan. Well, if something happens and none of these scenarios fit, we're all going to meet at the house, right? Husband and wife discuss this. Discuss the pros and cons. Put it down on paper, right? And then discuss, then figure out what you're going to include with your kids depending on their age. So, I mean, if they're 16, 17-year-old high schoolers, you can get a little more in-depth with them as to the different scenarios and everything. But if they're younger, uh, you need to come up with a plan of action. You need to know your school's plan of action. What's their plan? Most of the time, it's a lockdown scenario where they're going to lock the school down. If that's the situation, hey, stay put, we're going to come, and we're going to get you. Okay, then the next question is, how am I going to go get my kids? A lot of times the school isn't very far from where you live, but in rural areas like where I live, the the local school is 20 miles away. So how are you going to go and get that child uh, if it's an EMP attack and your car doesn't run? You know, do you have access to a bicycle or a lawnmower or anything to go down and pick them up? 
So a plan of action in place, written down and and, and discussed within the family is, is so so very important and it's so very key. And the last thing I would mention is having that fallback plan, right? The the scenario that doesn't fit the mold. And I mentioned how everybody's going to meet back at the house in that scenario. I would also add in, have a spot in your house that only you and your family members know to leave a hidden message. So let's say your fallback plan is everybody meet at the house. You get home from work. They should have been home long before you. You show up and they're not there for whatever reason. Maybe the neighbor was threatening them and they felt like they had to leave the house. Have a spot. Uh, for me and my wife, our, our, our spot is behind the headboard. Uh, we're going to write a handwritten note, tape it behind the headboard, and then you can go in there and you can find out, you communicate that way where it's not at, you know, you don't want to leave it out on the kitchen table and tell people where you're going and what you're going. So whether it be behind the headboard or, you know, inside the microwave, something along those lines. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, it's good to have that backup plan too, right? Because, I mean, there could be a situation, like I, I have a teenager now and so he knows that anytime if there's something where i need to pick him up at school and it's an event like that i mean even just getting into the freaking parking lot in the morning during drop off with all the kids coming in at the same time is a, is a real ass you can sit in traffic there for quite a while i can imagine with an incident right. like that it'd be, it'd be even you know sometimes more difficult so you know one of the things that we did was we you know we um have it set up so that you know, there's a road behind there. There's like a back road behind this school. Now he's old enough now. You're not going to ask a, like, you know, a, a seven, six year old, probably typically go meet right. me on the back road rather than the front road. But if you don't brainstorm, if you don't like brainstorm those different possible scenarios and think, okay, well, this is our perfect scenario. Now, what if that doesn't happen? Like, what if I can't get to you? What if, you know, what if you, you aren't at work that day, but you, it was on your plan to go and get your, get our kid from school, you know? So thinking through those situations really is important. So I'm glad, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, Jeff. Yeah. It, it's very important. I just, I, I want to really agree with you. A big aspect of survival and preparedness is mindset. And you cover that a lot on your, on your website and, and mindset and thinking through scenarios. And that's so important because a lot of times people will email me. They'll be like, what do you think I should do? It's like, well, I need a whole lot more background information on where you live, what, you know, what your plan, it's, it's not an easy question to answer. So like, I'm trying to give kind of the overview, but you need to have the ability to problem solve, not when the time happens, but have a plan of action in place beforehand. Think through these scenarios, problem solve them and figure out what you're going to do before the situation happens. If you wait till you're in ground zero, of whatever scenario, and all of a sudden you've got to figure everything out. You're probably going to make some some big mistakes, and it may be deadly. Yeah, all good stuff, man. All good stuff. So listen, everybody. As you can tell, there is there really is a lot of mindset, gear, tactics, planning, uh, training, even with your family, and and just going through these different scenarios. There there is a lot to it. Um, these are some of the things that that um, Jonathan really specializes in. He puts into a lot of his books, his survival guides, and things like that. You can find online, but I want you to go check out his website over at www.griddownconsulting.com and also check out the show notes. So we can put some of the different gear lists that Jonathan was talking about. We can put those in the show notes there and also go to the the page that is going to have this on our website. We'll go ahead and give you a resource link over there to check out more of Jonathan's uh, 
gear list and things like that that he's got on his website. We'll give you a direct link over there. So go check that out as well. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.